Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Jane, a clinic management software and EMR. Whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating. That's why their goal is to provide you with all the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as soon as possible. Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free data import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. And if you ever need a helping hand along the way, you'll have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support included in your Jane subscription. If you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one demo at jane.app switch. And if you decide to make the switch, don't forget to use the code HEAL1MO, that's HEAL1MO, at sign up to receive a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Welcome to Season 5 of Interdisciplinary, Heal Well's podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. We're going to get nuts in Season 5. We're going to mix it up a little bit, and uh, you're going to hear a lot more from the people who actually do the work at Heal Well. You may have already surmised that I, Cal Cates, Executive Director of Heal Well, I'm not one of those people. So you'll get to meet the people who really keep Heal Well moving forward. Don't worry, though, even though we're changing the format, we are going to stick with the puns. So if you, like so many, come for the puns and stay for the education, fret not. We will be persisting with the puns. Um, You will also be excited to learn that we have some pretty incredible Patreon content lined up for you this season. Again, with uh, the Brain Trust from Heal Well, and uh, our first episode will be bantering about a couple of episodes of the incredible show Cells at Work, and it'll be part of uh, an ongoing Patreon content piece called Corey's Cartoon Countdown. So uh, check that out and go check out our Patreon link in the show notes. Get in there and score that super secret squirrel content. So if you guys are ready, here's our pun for today. Did you know that they are currently excavating the largest known dinosaur tibia to date? Apparently, it's a real shindig. Ooh. <laughs> I think I think that one took my spleen. Well, and, and, and I mean, spleen. those who believe in evolution will now have a leg to stand on. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, it's a double pun. It's a follow-up pun. <laughs> it's a Season five punch. is going to be a one-two punch over and over, my friends. <laughs> so here we are, season five, episode one, and... Uh, I'm so excited to introduce you all to, uh, as I mentioned, the Healwell Brain Trust, or a a large part of it. We we don't have everybody, but uh, I've got Rebecca Sturgeon, our education director. Say hello to the people, Rebecca. Hello, people. (laughs) (laughs) We have Corey Rivera. And so Rebecca's coming to us from Louisville, Kentucky. We've got- Ah, you pronounced it right. Oh, I do what I can, right? (laughs) Louisville. Um, I just put some marbles in my mouth and it worked out perfectly. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. we have Corey Rivera, our education coordinator, coming to us from, from East Lansing, Michigan. Is that from, correct? Uh, no, West Lansing, Michigan. West Lansing, Michigan. So um, up, she's not a youper, but uh, I bet she says you betcha maybe sometimes. Corey, say I, hi to the people. Uh, hi, people. Uh, I tend to <laughs> drop consonants, so just bear with me. Excellent. And then, of course, we have Carrie Jordan with us, the operations director who does all the things that nobody else wants to do and somehow finds them soothing. True story. (laughs) Say hello to the people, Carrie Jordan. Hello to the people, Carrie Jordan. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! So we are going to talk today about what it's like to um, to live the heal well values out in the world, and maybe even as heal well. And uh, some of the heal well values are not things that have yet been embraced by all of our fellow humans. And uh, what's it like to be somebody living those values? So. I'm not going to like list our values. I think they're just going to come out as we talk about it a little bit. And um, I'm going to let you guys jump in and uh, let's just hit the ground running and see what happens. Well, <laughs> I, I feel like one of one of the heal well values is um, useful agitation of the status quo, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> not just for the says sake. things so nicely. She does. <laughs> I'm a writer. Um, 
<laughs> and, um, but clearly not a singer. The, uh, so I, I wanted to tell the Save the Story for the podcast because I think Carrie and I have had a similar experience. And one of the ways that we are agitating the status quo is uh, around weight stigma in healthcare um, and weight bias. And like, is it even, is the BMI even a thing? It's not a thing. Um, so one of the simple things that we're doing is, is not being weighed when it's not necessary to be weighed at, at the doctor's office, which is just kind of all the time, kind of all the time. Right. Unless you're getting like, you know, ketamine or something that depends on your body weight. So the last time I went to, um, a medical office. It was an integrative care office. I didn't think I would have to deal with this, but I had the conversation. They wanted to put me on a scale that also does the body fat measurement where they put like electric, whatever, whatever what? that thing is that they That's do in your real. feet. Uh-uh. It's not total, real. Uh, totally not real. So um, we had this very, you know, when you're having a polite conversation, but basically, you know that if you both had guns, you'd be dead right now. <laughs> like, that's what it felt like. Because the, the person I was working with said, um, okay, so we'd like you to do this and stand on the scale. And I think it will really help, you know, me with, with information about your health. And I said, okay, um, I don't want to do that because I don't think it's necessary. And she said, yeah, but, but this will really help with your, you know, helping us to understand your body chemistry. And I said, wait a minute, am I not going to go to get like a CBC and metabolic panel? And she was like, yeah, but I think you need to do it. So it it basically ended with a stalemate where I, where I basically was like, you know what, I'm done talking about this. I am not going to do this period. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do it. And then right after that, she took my blood pressure. I was like, really? Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not. High. So you yeah. walk out with statins for standing your ground. <laughs> <laughs> no statins. I mean, I, unfortunately, she was enough of an integrative practitioner that she got that that conversation was a contributor to the blood pressure. Just so didn't like, get that why the conversation wasn't even necessary in the first place. Um. So it's things like that, that it's kind of, it's ultimately a good thing, but there's also this like anticipatory dread every time I know I'm going into a situation where I'm like, okay, so this is a value that I need, that I want to, um, and need to uphold. And it's going to be, there's going to be pushback. Um, and I wondered if the rest of you had experienced something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I talk about this in the in Healwell's weight stigma class, but the first time I, as somebody who lives in a smaller body, went to den- to refuse to be weighed, a thing that had never occurred to me before. My friends who taught me about weight stigma told me that was a thing. Well, and <laughs> um, someone who lives in a smaller body and follows rules. True. Right. I don't want to. Do. I don't want to leave that out. <laughs> I do whatever they tell you to do at the doctor's office, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> So the first time I said, like, no, I don't want to get on the scale, the tech just looked confused. And uh, she said, how come? And I said, well, because it's not really necessary. I'm just here for a checkup. Or, and she said, oh, well, we take your vitals at the beginning of every, every appointment. And I said, my weight isn't a vital sign. And she was genuinely stymied. I mean, in a way that wasn't like she was not a dumb person or anything, but it was just, it just really drove home for me how much of the, how much of agitation, as, as Rebecca said, is really just saying like, how come? Like, why do we have to do that? Which as a rule follower is not my MO, um, you know, because otherwise anarchy, that's why. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's been very interesting. And at the same time that I feel like I've had a lot of that anticipatory dread um, now it's, I've been back to the, my doctor's office two or three times since that first time. And I have refused to be weighed every time. And now they're like, okay. And I feel a little disappointed. I can't lie. (laughs) We'll be right back. Do you want to change the world? So do we. Join HealWell this September in Arlington, Virginia, when we host the event to remember. There will be classes and conversations. There will be old friends and new ones. And yes, there will be dancing. 
Come to Heal Well Homecoming and let's keep this ball rolling. Well, I I felt so proud of myself because I did the same thing when I went in and I I went for my annual physical, which if you're going to like amorphously argue for a time when you should be weighed, like that would sort of be it. But so I said, you know, I don't want to be weighed. And and she didn't even really press me, but she was like, is there a reason? And I was like, well, because, you know, it just doesn't you don't need to know what I weigh like. And she was like, huh, okay." And she like made a note of my chart. And then something happened during my physical where I had to come back like three weeks later for another exam. That was just like a preventive, whatever. And so when I went in, I was sort of like off my guard and they asked me to get on the scale and I was like, Oh, okay. And then there I was on the scale and I was like, Oh, I totally like, I'm the weak link. (laughs) And I was like, Oh man. And so, um, yeah. So you don't just do it once and then you're just like, I'm good. I'm going to remember this and I'm going to feel up to it because I think that's the, I'm not so invested in rules really. And I don't mind asking people questions and things like that. I feel like I sort of do that, but that felt particularly subversive. And I really did have to kind of screw up my courage the first time I did it to like, because like you have this cultural, the doctor, the nurse, whoever the person is who is asking you the questions and doing the things like they're smarter than you, right? Or like they know more than you. And so to, to suggest that, I might know something else or just that I'm the boss of my body, right? Because that's really what I'm doing is I'm telling you, no, thank you. <laughs> I'd like to be in charge of what happens here. Uh, it just, it was, it was tiring. Like I felt like when I said, I'm not going to get on the scale that first time I was like, whoo, glad that's over, yeah. you know? And then when I went back three weeks later, I completely, like, I don't know if my mind was like, check that box. Now I'm going <laughs> to just get weighed <laughs> um, or like, I just wasn't prepared for it. And so, yeah, so that happened. Yeah. So I have a different take from all of you, actually, Um, because I take lithium in a relatively large amount. um, I am always on the lookout for my thyroid, just like giving up and walking away because it's probably going to happen someday. Um, I don't really have a scale at home. I do have one, but it's like under a lot of things so that if I actually want to get to it, then I have to like dig out and like remove and rearrange. Um, so it's, it's hidden away. So I don't weigh myself at home. So when I go to the doctor, I'm cool with being weighed because like that might actually mean something for me. Um, but the thing that really helps me do that is that my doctor absolutely never once in the six years I have been seeing her has talked about my weight as why something is happening ever. She's always like, man, your blood pressure is not so good what's your family history? And I was like, Hispanic on that side. And it's all, it all sucks all the way. And she's like, (laughs) okay, so like, let's watch it for a little bit. And then if it doesn't improve, then we'll get you on a thing. And, but it's, it's never been a weight conversation. And every time I go in, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it to happen. And she never does. So found a good one. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It is so exciting. Cling to her. Cling to her. She's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that Rebecca, you, you kind of, I don't think you did this intentionally, but you kind of went over the, the, the question of like, and Carrie, you pointed to it that like, these aren't stupid people, but you know, your integrative provider was like, well, this will help me, but the integrative provider isn't even clear exactly on how or why it will help them. They just have this amorphous cultural understanding that knowing your weight will, I mean, what my brain says is knowing your weight will help me judge you, right? Mm -hmm. It will help me decide what you're eating and whether or not you're exercising and things that, it doesn't actually do, but that culturally I'm so, it's so deeply ingrained in me that right. how much you weigh is indicative of how healthy you are, that right. I feel like this is important. But when you ask me why I actually can't tell you because it isn't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I think what you said, Cal kind of uh, dovetails into what I see as another Hillwell value, which is the, the sort of dismantling of the stories that we tell ourselves. Cause it would be so easy for me to, um, Oh man, I'm going to have to put a curse warning on this episode. Um, it would be so easy for me to be like, that provider is just a bitch and she doesn't understand and screw them and I'm never going back and she, she doesn't listen. But that's a story, right? And that's, right. Not, that's not what we're trying to do in the world. We're trying to model being the people who are like, okay, but why? And maybe help me understand where you're coming from. I'm not going to do what you think you want me to do. <laughs> right. But I'm going to try to understand why so that we can at least be continue to have a relationship. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Well, and I think we are so constitutionally averse to anything that's vaguely like confrontation that we can find ourselves on years long hunts for the perfect provider who will intuit our need for this kind of care because it's not standard, I don't think. Um, but if you're willing to be just a little bit uncomfortable, some providers just don't know. And if you say like, so, hey, and our provider, Carrie and I see the same nurse practitioner and she is very anti-BMI and very like just transparent about the kind of care she provides. But when we pointed her towards some resources, um, maintenance phase episodes and things about here's the BMI kind of deconstructed, she listened to them. And when we went back, she was like, oh my gosh, like I'd never heard some of that stuff. And so she was very open to I bet there's stuff I don't know about this. And I think you, it's a mixed bag because providers are humans. You know, we spent all last month in our Heal Well community talking about how to be wrong and um, people aren't good at it and, or how to be just not as accurate as you could be. And it feels like a personal attack. And as a patient, you want to just be taken care of. Carrie, um, are you raising your hand, please? I am raising my hand because that's what you do when you need, when it's, you know, if you follow the rules and you want to talk. Um, <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> Noted. I actually just wanted to take a hiatus to, it was, since we're talking about stories, for us all to just imagine Corey's thyroid with a little stick with a bandana on it, sort right. of like taken off into the sunset. Getting ready to hop oh, on the nearest box car. It's, it's, been, it's been playing through my head since, since you mentioned it, Corey. Someday, and I just, there'll, be a, there'll be a waving on the back of the train. Right. <laughs> like, it was good. It was good, and I'm glad we had our time together. <laughs> and that'll be it. And I'm cool with that. Oh, man. It was good until it wasn't. Yeah. Then you had to go. I would also like to note that Carrie Jordan may be the person who follows the rules, but she also appears to be the first person that would burn stuff down. So. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, but, but like, I, I think that this is, you know, Cal and I often talk about how I, I, uh, I'm a house cat, actually. Um, and so, you know, really mostly what I want to do is like for everything to be familiar and calm and comfortable, but I also enter the room, like, what can I mess up or jump on or like bite? Um, <laughs> off the counter. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. yeah. You, you know, don't pet me against the grain. Bad I had this happen. image of Carrie coming in and just like flipping the coffee table and then going to her desk. That's I do. Exactly. Yes. yes. What can I, just, I knock off the counter? <laughs> I just yeah. push Cal's water off the off their desk and then I walk away. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very catlike. Yes. Well, nice. and I, I feel like this is such a, a great argument for community because I, mm -hmm. you know, Carrie would burn stuff down, but Carrie would rather be one of the fomenters at the house and then send out the posse. Like, like, I don't want to leave the house to burn it down, but I have a <laughs> yeah. really good plan about how you guys should burn it down and Zoom I'll help you come Christmas. up with a plan. Right. Exactly. <laughs> if you get a, from the window. <laughs> if That's you right. get a, a bomb in the mail, it might've come from me. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. Carrie <laughs> commits crimes that can be initiated from the couch. <laughs> if you can yeah, do it from the couch under service. a cat. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Fair. Well, you know, it's interesting. I feel like one of the other, one of the other values that I um, just find challenging to live. And I, I think this is one of the things is as humans, we're not great about being like, this is the thing I totally cocked up. I want to tell you all about it. Um, and that um, like, when you, when you say the stuff that we say at Heal Well about equity, about justice, about whatever, I, I feel like there's a, it pushes the buttons of defensiveness and other people for all the reasons that defensive buttons get pushed. But like that, I, I want to be really clear that like, we don't always do it well, or that like, we're nervous about it too. And, you know, I, I recently had an exchange with a, a client who has been a client for a really long time. And I see him and his family regularly. And so income wise, they're also important to me. And also, you know, I've had this relationship with them for like nine years, but you know, we, we are left-leaning, all of us, I guess I would say, but um, for Thanksgiving, I sent them, I sent, I was scheduling our next appointment and I said, it was like right the day after Thanksgiving. And I was like, you know, happy belated land theft and genocide day. And, and the, the husband of the, of the family wrote back and he said, yeah, or just, you know, have great food with your friends and not any religious entanglements. And I was like, straight from the mouths of white dudes. 
And like, <laughs> this is, this is how we spar, but I thought about it before I sent it. Cause I was like, do I just let this go? Like, cause it, it's not, I want you to get that. Like I was being funny, but I wasn't being funny. And that actually Thanksgiving is a hijacked bullshit holiday in America. And it shouldn't be a day of celebration, or at least it should be a day of mourning and recognition and like what it has become is so very American and capitalist and, and whatever. And for him to just sort of offhandedly say like, oh, haha, well, I just like ate a ton of food and drank and it was great. And I didn't think about genocide or any of those things. I was like, um, so maybe you should have. And I will see this person live in a couple of days when I go and provide massages for their family. And I'm curious about how that's going to go. And sneaking up to the edges of like, we could get to a place where like my, what I will couch as my unwillingness to let comments slide and to kind of say, do you hear yourself when you say blah, blah, could take us to a place where they're like, it's just too much to be around you anymore. You know, or like, I just want a massage. I don't need your politics. And that I struggle and I'm glad to be surrounded by people who are willing to think through these things with me because it doesn't feel like politics to me. It's become politics, but I feel like it's actually clarifying the truth and bringing the truth to light and saying like, do you see again, the story, like the story for us is Thanksgiving is about family and abundance. And in elementary school, it's pictures of pilgrims and Indians sitting at a table together, eating food. That is not what happened. And we have to stop pretending that's what happened. <laughs> that was no like politics. Right. Yeah. 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 And Turkey. <laughs> Wasn't exactly. a thing. That's right. So yeah. So those places, like I've had a couple of experiences recently where I have experienced the, the unpopularity of saying what's true when it could go unsaid, but it feels less and less possible to leave it unsaid for me. And the more that I feel supported by this community and other people that I see in the world being willing to say things, the less willing I am to maintain that veneer of like, oh, this isn't the place or the time to speak the truth. Like, you know, so, uh, so that's, I guess, a long story, but I'm curious where you guys are feeling that or if you're feeling it and, and how it's playing out for you. Yeah, that's such an interesting dilemma because it's, um, I struggle with the, which I think is another thing that, that we uh, try to do in this community, um, communicating the message in a way that it will be received. Yeah. Like, it's not just about saying the words or communicating the message every time. It's about building the relationship and communicating the message in a way that it will be received. Even if just like the corner of it is received and then it's flapping out of somebody's pocket, at least it's with them when they walk away. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm also like heavily conflict averse. Like that whole thing with the doctor's office was really out of character for me. Um, so I, I, I really struggle with is the more important thing in this moment to maintain the relationship so that I can have influence over time? Or is the more important moment to say what's actually true? And basically, if a bomb goes off in the room, bomb goes off in the room. Um, yeah. I feel like it's such a slippery slope to tone policing, mm. you know? And, and I really, I really chafe under, and this is, it's, it is funny to me that this is true of our community. Um, <clears throat> I think you're right, Corey. Like I, I'm a little feistier um, than I may appear. Uh, I am from New Jersey. Uh, and, but I'm also kind of introverted and I don't really care for people that much. <laughs> and so there are often things that, you know, we will, something will come in to heal well and we'll need to respond. And as a group, I find, you know, we're discussing the response and I'm like, you tell them to stick it where the, um, and everyone else is like, so maybe not like that. Um, so <laughs> that's a good start. Uh, good start. So right. We're going to, we're going to work that shop that a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So those feelings are in there. <laughs> Um, but so, so certainly, first of all, community is incredibly helpful to me about being brave, but also, as you said, not just like burning it all to the ground. And I am constantly concerned about the way that tone policing has become so 
par for the course in our society. And that I couldn't hear your message because, you know, you didn't say it nice enough or, you know, you didn't start it with, I have a concern or you didn't blah, blah, or I I hadn't had lunch yet and I was cranky. Um, And so I really struggle with that because I think that, that there is a lot of, you know, I, I need to deliver the truth in this kinder, gentler, prettier package. And that hasn't worked so far. Hasn't worked in the community or just hasn't worked all the way around? In, in humanity, all around, yeah. Yeah, and, and I struggle with, I think, I think Carrie, Carrie and I, the reason why we're such good friends is that we're kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum, of the feisty spectrum. Yeah. Um, and, and I struggle with the, really, um, I don't want to, I don't want to tone police. That's the last thing that I want to do or, or encourage others to do for themselves or in general. But I'm also aware that, you know, most people aren't really good at hearing things that are hard. Yeah. And I, I wonder if it's part of my job <laughs> as, yeah. as someone who is, is really interested in getting to what is true and what is equitable and what, will, what is most compassionate for all of humanity, um, to include in that compassion the people who aren't ready to hear the truth is the truth. Um, and then there's some days where I'm just like, you know what? No. <laughs> if you... If you <laughs> I mean, I'm, I think I'm the person, I will try three times and then we're done. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think that I'm, although I hate, I hate the phrase meeting people where they are um, for so many reasons, but um, I, one of my basic tenets in life is um, describing information in ways that people can understand. Um, because information is often described in terribly useless ways. Um, I have a big problem with the way we write research articles that are full of gobbledygook and justified margins and 11 point font um, <laughs> that make no sense. And um, just telling people that they should read them and understand them. Um, so like, that's a small example of like a much, much larger problem. And I, consider myself, um, I have given myself the title of um, information translator, which isn't that the information changes, it's that it is presented to you in a way that makes you use the least amount of resources to understand it. So um, I've been reading Thinking Fast and Slow, and you're going to get a lot of it in this podcast, um, because it's overwhelming. Uh, And the very, one of the very first things that they discuss is how much effort it takes to consciously and consistently and carefully think about things because you can think about things super fast and it takes no effort and you can think about things slowly and it takes an enormous amount of effort um and like they measured physical stuff and your pupils dilate depending on how hard you're thinking they'll dilate more um and as soon as you stop thinking they stop and your glucose drops like it's a serious serious use of resources to use your brain that way um which is why we have a system that doesn't do it right. <laughs> it works a lot faster because it's not efficient to do it that way. Yes. Like you can't just sit in your chair and like think really hard all day about the thing because in two hours you'll be useless for the rest of the day. Right. And as like hunter gatherer society type thing, like now you're going to die. So, yeah. so I think, I think people's unwillingness to understand isn't just their unwillingness. It's also, it's a resource game that they don't know how to play and we don't, know how to help them with. Um, So I don't know if it's so much about like patting you on the head and telling you that things are gonna be okay when maybe they're not, or um, giving you the news in a not so bad a way when it's really bad news. But I think that there's a way to build information discussions that are efficient. And I think we're really bad at it right now. And I think they could be efficient for both sides. So like, Rebecca, you get exhausted. Carrie, you definitely get exhausted. Like if you can figure out the efficient way, then you don't have to be exhausted either. And the other person like understands a little bit better without getting the crazy defensive, I hate you, I'll never speak to you again problem. 
doing. Well, and you guys can reel me in as you often do if this is like <laughs> getting off off the point, but I feel like one of the reasons that we've been unsuccessful in addressing this dynamic that I feel like you just so perfectly described, Corey, is that intentional obfuscation is part of, I'm just going to say it, white supremacy. And that like feeling and looking smart are also things that are so culturally ingrained in terms of this is how I prove, let's say as a provider, that I that you should be paying me $150 for this 20 minutes or whatever it is, that I'm going to use words that you couldn't possibly know, and you're just going to trust me to tell you what's true. And I'm not, I'm not actually doing that. Like, I don't even know I'm doing that on purpose, but that is how my medical education was structured. That is how my, if I'm a banker, that's how I was taught to talk to you about your money. Like to keep, it's like these, these intellectual paywalls in all of our relationships that we don't even know we're upholding. So how do we pull the veil off of that? And and like one, another thing that I love about my primary nurse practitioner is that she doesn't do that. Like she'll say the big word and then she'll say, do you know what that means? And then she'll say, it's like when a little wheel goes around a spring and it blah, blah, blah and you're like, oh, okay. And now I can take this information that now I also know that there is like a medical word for this that probably has roots in Greek language and whatever that, you know, put it together and it makes sense about what it is. But now I can actually translate that into something that affects my life in a useful way. And I'm building a relationship with my provider instead of feeling like my provider is the boss of me. And I feel like bosses do this in all kinds of environments. Like anytime there's a chance for us to be above each other, we use the way we communicate as a way to maintain that power differential. Yeah. Well, it, I think that's right. And I think um, that also touches on another thing that happens in our communication or that doesn't happen. Like we confuse obfuscation with understanding of nuance. And that is what is absolutely lacking in almost all public discourse is an understanding of nuance and acceptance of nuance. Um, like, yeah, speaking of Thanksgiving, yeah, it's, it, it was, it is a quote unquote commemoration of horrible events. And for a lot of people, it has some deep meaning around family that, that is very warm and fuzzy. Both of those things can be true and we can have a conversation, but it's really hard for us to hold opposing ideas and understand that, that they can be equally valid um, in this conversation. And instead we, we turn to things like, um, like obfuscation, whether it's using the big words or, you know, stonewalling or going right to, you know, these facts that I saw on the internet, on Reddit, because <laughs> Reddit, I mean, really. <laughs> right. Um, Wait, can I jump in? I, I, will you please tell us what obfuscation and stonewalling are since we're talking about the use of big words to keep people oh out? Like, God. this is the problem when you have a bunch of people who are like writers and big word lovers. Like, you okay. got to remember, people don't know it because I said obfuscation and I didn't try to define it. So we should before we get any further. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust Carrie to jump in if I'm screwing this up. <laughs> hands on buzzers <laughs> and 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 whoever else so stonewalling is basically you are completely blocking off any input and not taking in not even seeking to understand or hear what the other person is saying it's like you're actually build, building a literal wall um so that's what stonewalling is and then obfuscation is um deliberate um i would call it deliberate uh uh, say that again, Corey. Sleight of hand. Yeah. 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 And like making things more complicated than they need to be. Yeah. And lying by omission, not by commission. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So lying by leaving something out as opposed to right. actually lying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, it's important to, to pull those apart because this is, this is really feels to me like one of the things that's so hard about all of this is that people are like, I don't do that. No, you're not even aware you're doing it. It's not a thing that you're doing on purpose. Like I'm going to try to make this person feel stupid. Like that's not, that's why it's hard because you, you have to first understand that, oh, intentionally or not, that is what's happening. And so then we go into this character judgment and all the stuff and it's like, okay, 
how do we teach each other to peel off the layers of self-recrimination and, you know, like, oh, wow, I do do that. And everybody does that. Like, it's not like I am the asshole at the party. Like everybody does their version of these things. Yeah, Corey, this remind, reminds oh, me of the 50, Corey, the 50, um, what was it? Intellectual. Cognitive biases. Yeah. Oh. Cognitive yeah. Plus no. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That cool graphic that we found that was, um, it's 50 cognitive biases, like lined up with cute little icons and very simple explanation. And then you can sort it by like what type of bias it is. So it could be a social bias or it could be like a language bias or it could be all kinds of things. And most of them overlap. Um, and you, you look at the title and you're like 50, that's cool. And then you look at the list and you're like, oh God, 50 is a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of things that we do that we just don't know about. Um, my personal favorite was there's um, false memory and mm. right next to it, is, it's like a crypto memo something. It's a very long bird and false memory is when you um, think something happened and it didn't and you have a memory of it. And the other one is when you just don't have memories of it all. And we do them both interchangeably all of the time. Mm because memory is extremely fallible. And I was like, oh, well, that's disheartening. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because I remember looking at that graphic and be like 50, like, I'm going to peek at these and see which two I have. And I was like, oh, <laughs> God. Like every, oh, I do that. I do that. I do. Oh, man. And then this one piles onto that one. And oh, I actually man. have a longer list now. Like, no. <laughs> so just oh. wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in bed. <laughs> well, well, I think this speaks to another thing that we, we are constantly talking about at Healwell is being the like skunk at the picnic, right? And that there is a, a one of the hard things about quote unquote truth telling, which is how we're all, what we believe we're doing out in the world, <laughs> um, yeah. is that you, it is easy to become somebody that people don't want to be around. <laughs> Um, and I think that that really, it's always really interesting to me to watch how other people react to my food choices. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a vegetarian for 26 years, something along those lines. And about a year ago, I've, I've started a slow, uh, up and down route to veganism, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it, it was always, it's always been really interesting to me. Um, certainly this was true of vegetarianism, but veganism pushes like some hardcore buttons in other people. And I'm always really interested in exactly what you're talking about, Corey. Like what, what is the cognitive bias that's getting like pinged here? Right. And I, I, I don't, I try not to proselytize. I think people can still be kind people and eat animals. I, I think I think that. I want to think that. I know Corey's over there. Like, <laughs> Corey's like, I eat meat. What's up? Right. Corey's we'll a kind. I'm new at this in a second. <laughs> I know no Corey. Corey's a lovely, kind, loving human being who cares about the planet and other beings. Like, and so uh, ergo, it might be possible to be that and a meat eater at the same time. But I'm I'm really interested in how uh, aggressively defensive um, other people become when you present like this is my truth um and for me this is what is true i choose not to i feel like i can't eat in these certain ways or consume or purchase in these certain ways um yeah i feel like veganism and my uh disentangling myself from amazon um have been things that seem really upsetting to other people in a way that i find interesting um and those are those are things where I do feel that sense of like, am I not couching my message properly? Um, you know, it, is it me? Is it them? Of course it's both, but like, you know, <laughs> how does this, how does this work? Well, it, you know, I think what you touched on, like with food, I mean, I've been vegan for like 20 years or more um, it, it, with food and with like disentangling from Amazon in particular, I think that what those touch on are areas of life that if you are not a person who is really examining in the way that that we do it heal well and we encourage each other to do that they just seem innocuous and so like somebody could have been doing all the work and they read cast and they read my grandmother's hands and you know they they're doing all the things and then you start talking to them about veganism and they're like well, 
what what else do I have to do to be a good person? Can I just eat my chicken? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. um, I mean, that is part of like what what we bump up against because it's not. I mean, I've been vegan for twenty years, and I'm still like, I, I would just like to be able to go to a restaurant and not think about it. Yeah. Well, and we're we're unable. I feel like we're unable to share our stories without them being heard as advice. Mm-hmm. And like I was recently talking with someone about I'm I'm on this up and down journey of veganism with Carrie as well. And and the more I read about the harm we've done over the centuries to each other, to animals, to the planet, the easier it becomes for me, because it's like a place where I can do less harm. And, you know, I was talking with a, a relative that I typically connect with on all points. And this person um, essentially believes the abundance gospel, which is like animals are here for us to use. And that you know, I was talking about why, like, I'm even pulling away from dairy because, like, they have to take a baby cow from its mom to make it keep producing milk. And when I think about, like, bringing enslaved people and separating families, like, this is one of the ways that we dehumanize and de-sentient beingize things. (laughs) And, And, you know, this person said, well, you know, kids are starving and, you know, dying addicted to meth. And until that gets solved, I can't care about a cow. And I was like, huh, Okay. And I said, well, for me, I know that I couldn't kill an animal to eat. And so to know that someone else is killing an animal out of my sight so that I can have meat felt out of integrity for me. And she said, oh, well, are you saying I'm out of integrity? And I said, no, I, I, if you notice, I was talking about me. For me, this felt disconnected. And so it made it easier for me to come to this place is like, oh, I want to be a person who lives in integrity. And for me, I know that even when the grid breaks down and I have to find my food, I don't think it's going to be animals because I just don't know that I could kill another living thing. And that's it. And, you know, she asked how this happened to me, quote unquote. And so that's what I described. And it became about her, you know, and it became about how, you know, this is just not, she doesn't want to be judged and she doesn't want to be attacked. And I was like, wow. I don't, I don't remember judging or attacking you, but I see that this is happening. And so I'm glad we had this talk, not talk. Um, <laughs> so yeah. what do we do as we share our journeys with each other and, and our surprises about ourselves? Cause that's the thing that's so exciting to me. Like six years ago, I would have told you, like, I wake up dreaming about steak. I love meat. We'll never give it up. Blah, blah, blah. And like now I don't even like the smell of it. I don't want to eat steak. Like it's not, I've completely moved away from it, but it didn't happen overnight. I don't think you're a terrible person if you eat meat. I'm really excited about our ability to be flexible and to go from a zealot in one direction to sort of a zealot in the other direction. And like, it's scary, but interesting. And I want to share that with people and be like, yep, I know I was somebody too who thought you couldn't build muscle without, you know, on a plant-based diet, but turns out you can. And I'm not telling you, you have to do it, but I might be telling you that your story doesn't hold up, which I don't know, maybe that's judgment. Uh, You know, what's the line between like, maybe check out your story and I think you're a jerk because they're not the same. (laughs) right sometimes it's the same definitely (laughs) (laughs) that is true no true true well and it's it's important for us I think to also be flexible when we're telling our stories because I'm just sitting here thinking okay I'm a vegan but I also take care of a cat cats are obligate carnivores I feed my cat meat I don't have a problem with that because that is what is necessary for this being to survive yes so I mean I think it's it's important to get clear about um nuance (laughs) yes yeah yeah um i i I would like to tell all of our listeners that um, i've only been around since like march of this year so i'm new at all of these things so anytime you're listening to the podcast and you're like man i don't know if i can do that just know that i'm right there with you (laughs) all the time like always questioning, always being like, I, I don't know if I can make that step, but we'll work on it, I guess. Um, that's me. So my food issues, um, I, like I said, my thyroid's going to disappear someday. Um, and one of the side effects of lithium is loss of taste and smell. So that's the thing that happened way before COVID. Um, and then they were like, loss of taste and smell. And I was like, I'm never going to know if I have COVID. Okay, cool. 
Um, it's already <laughs> oh. vanished. Um, and when that happens for long periods of time, like food becomes really rough um, and boring. And it's a lot about like texture. Um, I learned pickles are the best thing in the world because um, vinegar gets through, but food's not interesting and your appetite just sort of plummets. And I spent a lot of days just kind of like not eating really um, and not noticing that I wasn't eating, which is pretty terrible. So um, as we've reduced my dosage, that has started to come back, which is a revelation, let me tell you. Wow. Uh, it's very cool. Um, but like, because of my struggles with food already, the idea of like adding another struggle to my food struggles is like, I, I can barely meal plan as is right now. And I'll tell you, we eat probably the same five dishes every two weeks <laughs> because <laughs> I can't meal plan. And like, so we have chicken jalapeno popper thing. Um, we've got a green chicken thing and both of those can be put on any number of chips and tortillas and salads that you want. Um, like it's very straightforward, but I can eat it now. Um, and then there's like the cost factor, right? So if I yes. buy a box of macaroni and cheese, it's a dollar nineteen. Yep. And if yep. I buy a red pepper, it's a dollar nineteen. Yes. <laughs> so like figuring out how to make things go further, like meat is a big part of that for me. So yeah. like I said, all you listeners, don't feel bad. It's steps at a time. That's I really appreciate you saying that, Corey, because I think that that also points to to something that 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 is part of this whole discussion it's privilege that yes. you know we, it, it's a privilege to be able to make the choices that we're making um and that that always i think has to be part of i think that's something that we also try to do in conversations about other things is to to make sure that that's a part of every conversation and we really acknowledge that well and, and i really, think privilege oh go ahead Corey. i said really noticing that like the more I'm involved in this, the more I'm like, yeah, but you can't tell people to do that because you have no idea what's going on at home. Like right. you can't complain at your clients because they didn't do their exercises. Like you don't even know what their home looks like. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's not even possible for them. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think we, we tend to think of privilege as money, but privilege is being able to smell and taste your food, right? Like, right. and privilege is like, like, I live with a person and am a person who loves to cook and experiment with food. So it doesn't feel like a big deal to be like, okay, how do I make these plant products taste like cheese? Or how do I create an enchilada that is delicious without sour cream? Or, you know, like, I know it's possible and I'm willing and excited to do that. Whereas other, I mean, I think one of my favorite parts of the weekend is when we sit down and, and meal plan. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like I'm imagining Corey and her husband being like, oh God, I'm going to throw up. Like my stomach hurts. And so I think, and, and this is again, where nuance comes in because, you know, I have a friend who's like, well, the money I make, I can't not shop at Amazon. And I'm like, well, I've seen how you shop. And I think you think you need more than you need. I, I, I don't say that to that person because it's not my place, but I do think that part of why all this is hard is it's knowing when to say like, so you're right. You can't keep buying the way you buy and buy sustainable products because you will go broke, but you might not need four t-shirts. One t-shirt might be enough. You might buy this like wooden bowl that is from a sustainable, whatever, instead of like five bowls. And like, can you, you could live differently and be kinder to the earth and to the people who make those products. And, but we don't connect those dots. And, uh, you know, it is hard to, as you said earlier, Rebecca, like it's hard to relay the message in a way that doesn't seem like I'm telling you you're a failed human. And, and when you feel that, like, I feel an, an openness and a joy and like a lightness, the, the less I consume. And the less harm I know I'm doing because of the way that I eat or the way that I shop. And I want other people to feel that. So I, there is definitely a, a bias slash judgment in like, oh, dude, like you don't need 12 bowls. If you had two bowls, you could do all these things and then you'd have all this room in your cabinet. But the reasons that people shop are 
infinite and are sometimes pathologized. And like the way, even the way that I go about my activism, I am sure that it is rooted in some level of pathology. So how do we meeting each other where we are while also pushing each other on our stories that let us off hooks that we don't even know we're on. And that like, that's such a difficult place to be, I think. Yeah. So if you guys could fix that, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. We don't have answers. We just have um, a whole lot of questions. Good for season six. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. By season six, we'll have all the answers. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, stick with us for season six. Yep. Season um, six is when we fix it. Well, and, and what I hope we can continue to do here is to just to keep proving that it's hard and that it's worth doing and also difficult and that nobody is as quote good as they look on Facebook or Instagram or a podcast that like the more we can be honest about where it is hard and where we don't stick to what looks like a hundred percent of the time rule. I feel like the more compassionate we can all be with ourselves and each other that like it's, it's a nuanced thing. And the more we let it be nuanced, the more the more space there will be for love and compassion and not being jerks to each other. Yeah. Any uh, any parting wisdom, friends, for this our first episode of season five? All right. Yeah, I see. Just heads are shaking, listeners. They're just like, nope. I think that's it for now. But um, we Your hope homework- that you'll. Your homework is to not let anybody weigh you. How's that? That's right. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Exactly. And to be nice to yourselves. <laughs> so remember that we've got some incredible Patreon content this season. So get in there and check out the Patreon link and uh, come and access the secret, super secret squirrel convos that are in there. Get out there on the social medias, share, like, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets, and uh, leave us a review wherever it is that you listen to Interdisciplinary so that other people will know that they should be doing the same thing. Judge us. What's that? Judge us. Judge us. That's right. (laughs) Judge us in writing wherever it is that you access this podcast. We'll look forward to to reading your recriminating (laughs) judgments. Um, Thanks, everybody. We'll uh, talk with you next week. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy interdisciplinary, you should check out Healwell's new show, The Rub, a podcast about massage therapy. You can click the link in the show notes or find The Rub wherever you listen to podcasts. See you there.